Previously on At The Movies with Arch Campbell, Jen Cheney, and Lou Katz. Jen, what you think of the prom? I, I don't remember saying I was looking forward to it. Um, <laughs> and, and to that oh. point, I still haven't gotten around to watching it. At The Movies with Arch Campbell, Jen Cheney, and Lou Katz begins now. Hello again, this is Lou Katz welcoming you to the podcast that keeps you informed on the ever-changing world of entertainment, and we know you're keeping track. This is our 70th podcast, our 70th, that means 490th podcast in dog years. Please welcome now to our podcast from Vulture and WTOP.com, you love her. It's Jen Cheney, Santa's favorite helper. Hello. Bravo. Wow, that, that was a greeting. And joining her, the president of the Washington Area Film Critics Association and the founder of Lakefront Film Festival, as well as a regular panelist Ooh. on WETA TV's Around Town, Tim Gordon is here with us. Wow. Yeah, look. The president. Okay, bowing doesn't really convey on a podcast. Oh, is that no doubt? I try. You're bowing down to you. Right, to Jen. And longtime radio TV critic and entertainment reporter, and the guy still felt enough to fit down your chimney this holiday. You love him. Give it up for Arch Campbell. Yes, I'll be in your fireplace soon. So uh, here we are, and uh, happy holidays, everybody. And uh, as Christmas looms, a bunch of stuff uh, arrives uh, where? On Netflix, on streaming, some in theaters. So uh, Jim and Tim, uh, what's new this week? So much. Uh, I don't don't know where to begin, but I guess we'll start with Wonder Woman, uh, 1984, which, as we all know, lands on HBO Max as well as in theaters. But I think probably most people will be watching it on HBO Max. I watched it last night. Yeah, that was a movie, I guess. Uh, Tim, did you see it? (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I saw it last week. Yeah, uh, I agree with you. I'm going to be blunt. I gave it a C minus. Does it suffer from not being in a theater on a big screen with a bunch of screaming kids watching it? That's not really the problem. I mean, mm. certainly it would be no, more fun no, that not way. Not to me either. I, I, to me, it just felt like, and so many of these kind of franchise movies do feel this way, but this one suffered from it more. Like each scene was like a, a Lego piece and then somebody just put the scenes together and they're like, well, guess we got a movie. And then, uh-huh. you know, it just it just felt very disjointed to me. This world is not yet ready for all that you will do. Your time will come, Diana. And everything will be different. The way I fly, they will never find us. I forgot to tell you. What? Radar. Will they will they shoot at us? I did like the DC parts because they did shoot here. And so you felt like, okay, that really is the Metro. That's really Georgetown. I enjoyed seeing Commander Salamander as much as the next person. But um, but it just it it just didn't work. And and all the stuff with Pedro Pascal's character was just way over the top. Well, I, I will I will go even more in detail because Jen has left this part out. There was a scene where they were in Georgetown. They walk into the old Georgetown Mall, and when they come out, they're in Springfield. There's a, scene, <laughs> there's a scene in the Metro when they go downstairs, and you see all of these nice signs that are in there now. None of that stuff existed in 1984. I was sitting at home going, 
That wasn't there. What are we yeah. doing? <laughs> that's true. At least it didn't look like Canada. Well, that's true. Right. But, but my biggest or Baltimore. Issue, but my biggest issue was with the villains. That I think anytime you're having a film like this, that you've got to have a villain that matches the hero. And I didn't think either of these villains were, were, were even interesting enough. Like you said, I agree with Pedro Pascal. I wrote in my review that, you know, he, maybe he spent too much time under a helmet at the Mandalorian that when they took the helmet off, <laughs> I didn't know what to do. Um, so I, I just, I didn't think the film worked. I, I thought it had some major issues. And Patty Jenkins loves uh, Gail Gadot. But other than that, you've got you to gotta build a more diverse, you know, not diverse, but you got to build a more fulfilling universe mm-hmm. around Wonder Woman. And I didn't think this one was even... As good as the first one was. No, agreed. Well, on that happy note, uh, let's talk about other things that are coming out this weekend. Uh, It's going to get better from here, I swear. Uh, Another thing that is dropping this Christmas Day is Soul, which is the new Pixar Mm -hmm, movie, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which is about an aspiring jazz musician who seems to die very suddenly, but he's not quite dead. His soul goes into this other realm, and so he's trying to kind of get his soul back into his body on earth because he has this great opportunity finally to play in a, a, a great jazz band. And uh, it reminded me of Inside Out a little bit, and that's not surprising since Pete Docter um, co-directed this in the sense that there's this whole sort of world that they try to explain as, as far as like how the inner mechanisms of souls and bodies work. Uh, and I thought that was a little, it was a little more esoteric than a, a Pixar movie usually gets. Um, uh-oh, Tim Smirkin. Um, no, I, I absolutely agree. I thought that was 30 minutes. You could have taken those 30 minutes and redirected them. They spent far too much time in, in what was it, The Great Beyond trying to explain. Yeah. I was like, yeah. and I watched it twice. The first time I hated it when I watched it because I went into it oh, expecting wow. it to be something else. And then when I, I kind of reconfigured my expectations to watch it the second time, I said, okay. But that half an hour that Jen is describing right now is just too much time trying to explain, you know, where personalities come from, where souls go. I was like, enough. And the thing is, Pixar usually does that. That's something that is, uh, I think, one of their great trademarks is their ability to, like, create these worlds and explain them in this really clever way. Uh, That part of it just didn't work as well for me. But that being said, I think there's some beautiful animation in it. Um, The music in it is, is wonderful. And, you know, this is the first Pixar movie that's really focused on Black characters in this way. And I think that's just a great thing to see, too. So I still think it's an enjoyable movie and certainly something that families can watch together over the holidays and and take something positive from. I agree. That's Disney Plus, right? Yes, sorry. It's going to be on Disney Plus. And I guess it's the first Pixar movie going direct to streaming. Yeah, I mean, Onward practically did (laughs) because it was in theaters and everything shut down. But (laughs) but you're correct that, that this is really the first official. Mm-hmm. What else Let we got, go. guys? There's still more. Sylvie's Love. Midnight and, Sky. And One Night in Miami are both on Amazon Prime uh, on Christmas Day. Sylvie's Love is one of my favorites um, of the year with Tessa Thompson and Namdi Asamoa, period piece about a love story of uh, African-Americans in Harlem in the late 1950s, early 1960s. Beautiful score, wonderful cinematography, amazing costumes, wonderful chemistry between the two characters. I love Sylvie's Love, and I think people, more people should be talking about this film. One Where night is Sylvia's Love? It's going to be it? on, uh, it's gonna be on uh, Amazon Prime on Christmas Day, along with oh, One cool. Night in Miami. Great, great. And you were talking about Midnight Sky, which is going to be on Netflix. Yes, Midnight Sky is on Netflix uh, on the 23rd. 
Um, so by the time you hear this, you will probably be able to watch it. And this That's is uh, George Clooney. George Clooney directed this and stars in it. And it's yet another sort of space movie, but it's almost like two movies happening in, in, in parallel. One, you know, focused on the people who are actually in space and the other focused on Clooney, who's still earthbound and has to take care of this young girl who's been left behind. And there's a, you know, there's a little bit of a twist in it at the end. I feel like the, the two parts feel too separate for too much of the movie. Um, so it doesn't totally gel the way that I wanted it to, but there were parts of it I definitely liked and and I, I didn't mind the twist so much. I, I know other people have some problems with it, but obviously I won't reveal what it is. What did you think? I, I was not, I was not uh, as enthralled as, as the Lady Cheney was. I thought that uh, <laughs> we, watched, we watched so many of these space films and I think the ones, and I, I wrote this, that, that one of the, it's got to be three criteria in order to make a space film work. You either have to have a mission or a purpose. There's got to be some sort of either horror or something going on or some action, because if we're just watching them pass their time in space, to me, it gets boring. And I got bored watching this film and I understood it. I saw what Clooney was trying to do. I, don't, I just don't think he executed it uh, well, even though this was better than Solaris, which was his last foray into space which I hated that movie, but I, I hated this one, but not as much. Wait, you're, aren't you forgetting Gravity? Wasn't that no, as no, much? No, no, <laughs> no. Well, Clooney wasn't in Gravity. I'm talking yeah, about- Yeah, he was. Clooney. Clooney was in Gravity? Dude. Must, we sat next to each other. Clooney was in Gravity? <laughs> yes, he was in Gravity. My apologies. Everybody at home, I forgot Clooney was in Gravity because Jen shushed me and threw me off my vibe. She's, and she yeah. loves, you see the look on her face. This happened seven years ago. Every time I see Tim, he brings this up that I shushed him during gravity seven years. Albert Brooks tweeted, saw gravity on an iPhone, not impressed. Which <laughs> is one of my favorite reviews. <laughs> I didn't think anyone ever shushed Tim and uh, and he shushed. There's no talking in so space. It's, it's, it's the only time I've ever been shushed in a movie. And every time I sit next to Jen now, I'm going, are we going to get shushed tonight? It wasn't, I, I should say, it wasn't a hostile shush. It was, it was a gentle shush. <laughs> I mean, that, a movie is, shush. that movie sets a real tone. It's very quiet. You can't, you can't break that with talking. I want to ask you, Jen, about news of the world, because am I correct? It's only a theatrical release? Yes. And I, I actually and haven't gotten to it yet. What do you think of, uh, you know, here we are, there's, there's a half a dozen films on HBO and Disney and Netflix and Amazon Prime, and then suddenly we've got this one that's only in a movie theater. What do you think of that decision? I mean, a lot of studios and movies have, have rolled out that way, and, and, have, and, you know, but the window between when it will be in theaters and then go to streaming is like compressed. Um, I don't know off the top of my head when News of the World is gonna be on streaming, but I'm sure it'll be fairly soon after this theatrical release. I don't know. I think maybe there are parts of the country where people are still going to the movies more so than they are around us, but to me, it just doesn't make sense right now. No, me <laughs> yeah. neither. I like the movie. Did though. you see it, Tim? Yeah, oh, I did like you? the movie. Tell I us. mean, it's basically a, a story of a, of a man who's a retired army captain who wants a simpler life and he literally goes from town to town. Every time he goes into a town, he collects newspapers and then for 10 cents, you know, people pile into a hall and he reads the news of the world, which I found to be really interesting because I don't really, 
remember any film I've ever seen that's kind of had that as a concept. And it's kind of like what entertainment, television, social media would have been in like 1870. And, you know, yeah. people are sitting there being entertained. He's reading local stories. And they're going, ooh, ah. <laughs> so I thought, it, I thought it was really interesting. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Captain Jefferson Kyle Kidd. And I'm here tonight to read the news from across this great world of ours. And then it has this true grit sort of a, uh, the remake, the Coens did, kind of a, a bend or arc where he, he's on his way to a town. He sees a young girl unaccompanied and he tries to return her only to discover that he has, he's got to take her back to her uh, village. And along the way, much like what Rooster Cogburn had to go through, he's got to fight people off and try to hide her and all of this craziness. So I, I found it to be a really interesting take. Tom Hanks, of course, is a, a master actor. He gives a really good performance. And to me, he's the central reason to watch this film. So I gave it a B when I reviewed it a couple of days ago. Uh, would it be one of the best of the year or, or just I was, close? I was, I was thinking about that because I had released my top 10 last, last Friday before I saw this film. And I really am still giving it thought whether I want to bump one of the, the 10 films that I have off my list to try to add it on. Mm -hmm. I think it's that good. I really liked it a lot. Wow. And Jen, you are interested in uh, Bridgerton coming to Netflix. Yeah, for, because... we're finally getting to what people will actually be talking about over Christmas. And that's <laughs> Bridgerton. <laughs> uh, I watched this... that too. That was, I watched that too. I'm only here what Jen's got to say, though. Yeah, uh, so yeah. this is a, a Netflix series. It's the first Shondaland series to land on Netflix, and Shonda Rhimes made her, her big Netflix deal. She is not the showrunner of this, actually. Chris Van Dusen, who worked for her, um, on Grey's Anatomy and also Scandal it is the actual showrunner and creator on this. And it's based on the Bridgerton romance books, you know, set a Regency romance where, of course, all the daughters are trying to be married off and there's conflict and and uh, ruses. And, and, you know, I call this Pride and Prejudice and Gossip Girl because <laughs> there's a, a narrator, um, Lady Whistledown, who's who's voiced by Julie Andrews, which I love. And she is sort of the, she puts out the, the kind of newsletter that tells everybody all the gossip, um, but nobody knows who she actually is. She's anonymous. And so part of what's going on is you're trying to figure out who is this woman who knows everybody's business and is kind of influencing the choices that they're making. Miss Daphne Bridgerton. You have no idea what it is to have one's entire life reduced to a single moment. The time has come for the social season. And then I also refer to this, even though Downton Abbey was set in, you know, much later times. This is in the 1800s. But I, I also call this show Downton Sexy because it's <laughs> much sexier than most period pieces that you watch. Um, it's also much more inclusive than most period pieces. I mean, the queen in this mm. is black. There's, there's, uh, it's, it's not an all white um, cast the way that you typically see in a, in a show like this. Anyway, bottom line is it's really fun. It's very soapy. You know, you want to just kind of go from one episode to the next as, as fast as possible. It's a hundred percent something that people will be blowing through on Christmas day and tweeting about. And I really enjoyed it. Wow. I agree with everything that Jen said, but my favorite character, and I can't even pronounce her name. I think it's Adjoa Ando who played Lady Danbury, I love, every time she came on screen, to me, my <laughs> eyes lit up because it was just so many nuggets. She just huge scenery, um, but I loved it. I, I mean, I, I thought it was fun. I've watched it twice now. I mean, back mm -hmm. to back. So 
I think Jen is absolutely correct that uh, it's much more inclusive, much sexier, uh, a, a much different take than what we see in these period films that we watch when, you know, the, the, the ones that I try not to watch because I'm like, there's really nothing in it for me. I'm like, eh. <laughs> yeah. So, well, uh, I'm going to go a different direction. So uh, the two of you, uh, we've discussed a lot of uh, material and uh, what are two of the things we've talked about that uh, we should immediately rush and, uh, and watch. Name two. Well, for me, it's going to be easy. I would say My Rainy's Black mm -hmm. Bottom and um, uh, One Night in Miami. We didn't talk about One Night in Miami, but Regina King, who I've known for years, she is really, really evolved into an artist. And this film, yeah. I don't know whether it's going to get nominated for Best Picture or not, but it's awfully good. And of course, Chadwick Boseman's final performance, which I think is the oh, best thing he's ever done. Gosh. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. So that, those would be the two for me. I mean, even though Jen is swaying me with her Bridgerton review, I mean, Bridgerton is <laughs> a lot of fun to watch. And she's right. I mean, folks will sit there all day on Christmas and just want to binge watch that you know, and we'll take it in. But go ahead, Jen. Well, I have a question. One Night in Miami, I don't think that comes out actually until January, right? Like it well, doesn't- Well, no, I, I thought they were streaming it. Now I could be incorrect, but I thought it was streaming on the 25th. I could be incorrect. I think it's not until January. I could be wrong about that. Um, okay. I don't know, but I, I haven't seen it yet. I, I think really you're right, Jen. Yeah. Um, I'm really excited to see that because I also love Regina King to death and- uh, I'm excited to see something that she's directed. Let's, let's jump in and tell everybody One Night in Miami is the imagined meeting of four, um, four. important figures yeah. from history, including Martin Luther King and... No, uh, Malcolm X. is Malcolm X. Malcolm X. Cassius Clay, Jim Brown, and Sam Cooke. Uh, after oh, he man. the heavyweight championship against Sonny Liston, and they meet back in the hotel for a night of conversation uh, which is mostly led by Malcolm X, who is prodding each of them to stand up and take a larger role in their community, which I thought was. And this is well 1964. Done. 1964 Miami Beach. Yep. Yeah. So yeah. really good. Really, really good. So, Jim, back to the, the, the two that you like from everything we've discussed. Just in terms of what's coming out right around Christmas, um, yeah. I would say Bridgerton and then probably Soul, um, just especially for people who are trying to, to watch things that appeal to a, a wide variety of age groups. Um, if you're stuck from listening to you two, I think I would go with Soul and uh, Sylvie's Love. Oh, yeah. Love. Man, I, I, I like Tessa that. Thompson a lot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Hey, uh, at your recommendation, Jen, I watched the entire series and the finale of The Flight Attendant. Mm -hmm. And I kind of got into it. And uh, uh, I love the way they wrapped it up. Mm -hmm. uh, and it looks like maybe there's some more seasons coming. What do you yeah. think? They just gave it a second season uh, a few days ago. Uh -huh. so there will be at least uh -huh. one more. Yeah, I thought that was a really fun series that I, I wasn't necessarily expecting it to be as, as uh, absorbing as it was. I don't have HBO Max, so I tried to watch it. <laughs> you know, I'm like, somebody needs to give me an account. I am not paying to review stuff on your network. I'm with you, Tim. I'm with you. I'm with you on these things you can't get. I watched it on my iPad. I wish I had seen it on my big TV. Right. Uh, but there you are. That's the I heard, world I heard we it live was in. good, though. I heard it, it was is. good. It is. So that's Jen's recommendation. So there we are. So uh, we are on Hound Radio. 
which is our enabler, and Lou Katz produces and runs this show. And Lou, tell us uh, about Hound Radio this week. Well, if you happen to have a dog, there's something you definitely want to hear about. (laughs) Check this out right now. Hound Radio pauses the music for another wonderful look into the world of dogs with Faith Lapidus. Is your dog the smartest pup in the park? It could depend on its breed, or whatever breeds are in the mix. Working with the American and Canadian Kennel Clubs, as well as dog owners, canine psychology professor Stanley Corin compiled a list of the 63 smartest dog breeds. It's based on a breed's ability to problem-solve and quickly learn new commands. The top 10 include some breeds you'd expect. Working and service dogs, like German Shepherds, Golden Retrievers and Labs, Rotties and Dobermans, Poodles, which were originally bred to retrieve ducks and other waterfowl, come in at number two. Here's an entry that may surprise you. Papillons, which are incredibly active and agile and not your average lap dog. The other three are herding breeds. Australian cattle dogs, Shetland sheep dogs, and at number one, you guessed it, border collies, which can follow directions given by hand, whistles, or voice. Don't feel bad if your dog isn't in that top 10. Traits like adorableness and loyalty just can't be measured. I'm Faith Lapidus for Hound Radio. At the Movies with Arch Campbell, Jen Cheney, and Lou Katz comes to you from the secret underground bunker studios of the Katz Podcasting System. Okay, I've got something I want to ask both of you about. Tim Gordon, the president of the Washington Area Film Critics Association, and Jen Cheney, uh, one of the great voices of criticism and entertainment reporting for uh, Vulture and WTOP, and this is it. We're starting to get some critics' uh, picks as best picture of the year. And so far, I noticed the New York film critics uh, have anointed First Cow. The L.A. film critics have anointed uh, the Amazon Prime television series, Five Small Acts. And the Chicago critics have anointed Nomadland, uh, which hasn't opened yet. What are we to make of critics' awards in this odd year? I think in a way, and I, you know, Arch and I talked about this pre-show, that I made a decision months ago that we would push our awards back because we knew that there were going to be some contenders that would still be released in the month of January. And I think it's a little premature, despite the fact that I've seen all three of the films that you just, you just talked about, Nomadland, uh, <laughs> Uh, small acts and um, first cow. But I still think there's more time. And I think in a way, critics are a little minimized in this space, I would say, because everybody's a critic now because we're all streaming things. The only advantage we have now is that we may see it a little earlier. But, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know how strong the pull of a critic is in the middle of a pandemic when we're not at theaters, we're not able to do the things that we've done normally in order to promote these films. I'm not sure if it's still the same. I, I, Jen, I'll listen to you. I'm, I, I'm still kind of on the fence and I've been thinking about it since March. So I don't really have a definitive answer. Well, I, I don't see that much of a difference in terms of the importance of a, a critic in this situation. I mean, there's still so much that's available to us. In fact, you know, for some people who weren't inclined to go to theaters, they may feel like they have even more um, opportunity to watch things 
and are looking to us to discern like what, what is worth my time and what's not. To me, I think the bigger issue among the things that, that you just mentioned, Arch, and this, this is going to just open a whole can of worms, is whether or Great. not Small Axe is a movie or a TV show. Yes. Oh, my Thank God. Thank you. Yeah, we've been Thank talking you. about this. We, this has been going on, this debate, for about two weeks. I actually called down to uh, the, the rep that we have locally, and we had a long conversation about this. And my, my indication is that I think it's a film. I mean, if it plays in a, in a theater, if it plays at a festival, it's a movie because Sylvie's Love is another one that we're having this conversation about that Amazon has designated it as a television film for Emmy consideration versus a film for Oscar consideration, which I think is wrong. So yeah, so that's just me. But you're right. It is a, it is a huge can of worms, Jen. And, and I think it uh, largely the decision is on who distributes the film. But just because you made a decision doesn't mean it's the right decision. Well, I mean, the, the truth of the matter is it, it, it doesn't even matter that much. The only reason it really, really matters is because of um, awards and, and, and the decision about how to submit something. You know, I think Small Axe to me is, is a, a series of films. It's not a TV show. It's not episodic. You know, you can watch each of the films independently of, of you know, any of the others, and, and, it, and they stand on their own as a separate story. In fact, I think it's more powerful that they're a series of films because the fact that Steve McQueen could make so many movies about set in the same time period about black experiences that are so very different suggests, you know, how many stories there are to tell. But uh, myself and some fellow critics at Vulture had a long uh, written argument about this whole issue of movies versus TV. I think it's going to be published today. So you can read myself mm. and Bilga Beery and Allison Wilmore and Catherine Van Arendonk, Van Arendonk arguing about this uh, in, in print, if you're so inclined. I am. <laughs> it struck me. It just uh, five small acts struck me as a TV series. I'm sorry. That's just, that's not a TV show. How is it a TV feeling. show? It's not a, it's not a TV show, Arch, because, you know, it had, uh, it's five, like Jen just said, it five stories. You got Lover's Rock, you got Mangrove, none of these things. I mean, the only connective tissue is that they all take place in London between 1960 and 1980. So it's five stories. It would be like saying that do the right thing, school days, jungle fever. If Spike put all three of those out, those would be a television show. No, they would not. They would be three New York stories or three stories from Spike Lee. Right. But why, why are well, you saying that, Arch, though? I'm curious. I, I, I guess because I watched it on TV. But that doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> well, Arch, you watch it. Watch this. Jen watched Wonder Woman 1984 on television. Is that a TV movie? Yeah, and I thought I heard her say that, uh, well, you said it did not suffer because of being on television. <laughs> it suffered because of uh, what they put into it. Yeah. So I don't know. Call me wacky. I'm saying TV show. And I'm saying you're wrong. <laughs> wow. And I'm agreeing uh, with well, you. Okay. And we're not in the same room. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> I'm just saying there, there is there is a case to be made for that. You know, would they show all five uh, 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 on the same night if we were in a movie theater? They could, but they didn't. Wouldn't absolutely wouldn't have to. Yeah, mm -hmm. you would. You would treat it. Okay. I, would, I would release them one at a time, but I think absolutely that they are all movies that would play theatrically and work well. Well, okay. I'm trying, I'm trying to sell them, Jen. It's just not working. So. Uh, what about the Oscars this year? Are the Oscars as important as usual? I mean, it's a very strange year for all the reasons that we've talked about. It doesn't feel as 
momentous as usual, but I still think there's a lot of good films. And so I, I hesitate to, to act like it's not as important because I think in a lot of ways, this has opened, opened the field to consider some movies that maybe wouldn't ordinarily get as much attention from Oscar because so many things got moved around and whatnot. But it's just, I mean, it's not even happening until April. It, it definitely feels a little strange. I agree. I, I, I've been questioning all year the importance during a pandemic of trying to do this. And there's so many rule changes that have been made now that streaming content is now going to be eligible for Oscar consideration. So it's a, it's a wild, wild west. There's so many movies that are out there. I think it does open the door for what we call some, some untraditional and non-traditional choices that are, are going to be in there. We talked about Regina King, uh, whether or not that's a film that deserves consideration. I'm not really sure. Um, I know that in the history of the Academy, there have only been six women that have been nominated for Best Director. Uh, the, the young lady from Nomadland, I think, is going to be the seventh. Uh, whether they will put two women as best director in the same year, if there's any year it's possible, it's this year. I'm just not sure whether or not it's going to happen. So, How is Nomadland uh, going to roll out? What, what's the, where will that be? It's already in some theaters, I think, in limited release. Um, and then it'll be available on streaming. I can't remember exactly when. I think, is it this month, Tim? Do you remember? Uh, you know, I don't January? know. I mean, I, I saw Nomadland back in October, and I'm not really sure. I've, I haven't gotten a lot of information. I, you're right that I think it's played theatrically. I'm just not sure exactly what, what the streaming rollout plan for it is, whether it's going to be this month, next month. So I'm not sure exactly what it is, to be perfectly honest. I mean, this is the other thing that's been hard is just keeping track of this stuff. We sound like yeah. dummies for not knowing this, but it really is is hard to, the, the strategies and the rollouts are so different for every movie. And it's just been very challenging to keep track of it all. Well, let's call it what it is. I just I feel mean, like a lot of people are out there and they look at these lists of great movies and they don't know what we're talking about. Right. They never heard of them. Well, what I was going to say is that, you know, in a traditional year, we would have, you know, agencies that would do a lot of this work for us. You know, they would send us an email and let us know, hey, we can screen it on this date. It's going to open on this date. So in the past, we never had to worry about a lot of this stuff. But this year, with the, the absence of the, the PR company and everybody is kind of wild, wild westing it on their own, you know, you got to figure this out. Like you said earlier, we were, we were laughing about the flight attendant. There would be a time that there's, you know, there's a strategy rolled out how we get these films out to critics so that the critics can get the word out to the masses. And right now there, there is, it's kind of a breakdown in the system and we're figuring it out as we go along. Yeah. Well, on that note, <laughs> let's pitch it over to Jen, who uh, always uh, begins to wrap our show with her flashbacks and favorites another area for us to embarrass ourselves in. So this is the last week that I can really do something holiday themed. So what mm. I'm gonna ask you is to name one or two, if you're so inclined, of your favorite holiday songs, but not, don't say Jingle Bells, don't give me the Christmas song by Nat King Cole. Try to give me something, I mean, I, no, not, no knock on Nat King Cole, I love that, but something that like maybe people don't know as well, or people wouldn't necessarily think of that as a personal favorite of yours. I will go. I guess with... Grandma got run over by a reindeer. <laughs> it's not. Yeah, that's not. <laughs> that's not helpful. Okay. <laughs> um, I was gonna say um, since, since she took away my favorite uh, song. Oh, sorry. I would go. 
I would go there. There are several that I really like a lot. Um, and, and of course, as a black guy, I'm going to name a couple of black Christmas songs because we just did an entire show on this. Silent Night by The Temptations, one of the greatest <clears throat> songs in the community. And uh, believe it or not, Luther Vandross has a song. And Jen, I would suggest you listen to it called Every Year at Christmas Time. It just makes me happy every time I hear it. Every year at Christmas time. All right, those are good choices. Archie? I'd like to throw in a vote for that great uh, doo-wop version of uh, I'm Dreaming of a White Christmas. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I heard that recently. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas just like the ones I used to know. Yeah, that, that always... Oh, God. Who is the artist on that? Is it The Temptations? No, I don't think uh, it's The Temptations. It's it's The Drifters. Drifters. Okay. (laughs) Jen? I mean, I have a lot because I, I I love holiday music and especially unconventional holiday music. But um, I'm going to go with one of my more recent favorites, which is Christmas Was Better in the 80s. Um, (laughs) It's a very delightful song. Christmas Was Better in the 80s? By the Future Heads. We have Lou Katz in the studio who puts this show together and announces, does everything for us. And for many years, Lou played all Christmas music on Wash FM. Oh, yes. I am told that he hated that time of year. <laughs> wow. I, don't, I think the word hate is a little strong, Arch. I just, it wasn't my favorite time of the year musically but uh i will tell Did you, you have a favorite i believe it or not i had a, i had a song called a christmas to remember from dolly parton and kenny rogers you made this a christmas to remember springtime feelings in the middle of december it was never a big hit but we did play it uh, throughout the season early on it was fun but you know what i have found a song to wrap up the show because time is running out that Tom Hanks sang on the Polar Express soundtrack. He actually sang a song. It's called Hot Chocolate. And that's how we wrap up the podcast this week. Merry Christmas to one and all. (laughs) And sip that hot chocolate.
This is the Cats Podcasting System.